downloading UW Alumni Voices. Exceptional you. Strength and diversity. Everyone's different. Everyone has a unique strengths and weaknesses. A key to career success is knowing yourself, playing to your strengths, and collaborating with others to offset your weaknesses. Here you will learn to celebrate your uniqueness through the stories of alumni who have built success by knowing who they are and what they and others have to offer. Now, I would just like to quickly introduce the panel and ask them to tell us about themselves and why you're on this panel. Hi everyone, I'm Shalini Saldana and I'm a UWA graduate, studied mechanical engineering and computer science a few years ago now. Um, and I'm currently the principal advisor or IT lead for the Kadaitri project, which is Rio Tinto's uh, I Know Mine that is opening in 2021. Um, why I'm on the panel is because I am passionate about diversity and particularly about diversity of thought and diversity of career. So I've had a quite a diverse career, all in the mining industry, started as a mechanical engineer, then moved into operational maintenance roles, and then into corporate roles, and now I'm actually in IT. So. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is uh, Fadzi Wande, and um, I'm a global diversity and inclusion strategist, so um, working in the inclusion and diversity space, both in Australia and also overseas. Until three months ago, I was also the manager of inclusion and diversity here at the university. I am a graduate. Um, I graduated with my uh, executive MBA in 2015, and also a graduate uh, certificate in social impact. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is DJ. I'm a UW graduate as well. I'm now a financial controller for a property firm, JLL. And why I'm on this firm is because I believe in, in diversity. I, I believe it's, um, it makes the world a better place. Hi, I'm Megan McCracken. I've had a 30-year career in operational businesses across the country. Um, I'm a UWA graduate. Uh, here with a couple of degrees from here uh, and do get volunteered for a few things as well. Look, my interest in being here is I am probably best known for my work on the diversity front in gender diversity. I am the chair of the National Association of Women in Operations, which is Australia's peak body representing women in non-traditional roles and um, organisations that sort of cover areas that have been non-traditional in history for women. I am also work with, do a lot of work with w women in mining here in Perth and I'm on their mentoring committee and looking at revamping that for 2020 um, and mentor, and I'm on the board of St George's College here as well, so, and mentor students through there. So that's my interest in being here. Wow, thank you everyone. So my first question, is your unique identity important to you at work? And, and if so, why? And do you have any examples where that's really been pertinent? I, I sort of felt it more recently when I moved to um, information technology two and a half years ago. So I was a mechanical engineer, had operational roles, etc. And um, when I went to IT and it was a management role, I actually, and there were so many IT people wondering, I was going, what is my value proposition? What makes me unique in this IT role I've been given when I actually don't know much about IT? I had a computer science degree and I guess I realized that my unique value proposition was that I knew the mind sites and the operations of all my career, previous career, and that was my uh, unique value proposition uh, to, to that role. So, For me, uh, it, it is important to me to be me, because um, everyone else is already taken, right? So um, to be unique at work, and it doesn't mean you have to be completely different. It just means you've got to be you and you'll be comfortable with yourself. And I think all of us have enough to worry about at work um, than trying to be someone else as well. So being yourself at work, 
being 100% comfortable with who you are enables you to actually do the extra 110% in something else so you don't have to worry about what anyone else thinks about you because you are just being you. Um, I think being yourself and being able to go to a workplace that has psychological safety, uh, cultural safety is, is really important because I think, as you will testify, whenever you go into spaces, it's kind of hard to be in a space that isn't welcoming of you. And so, I mean, it's been a journey for me, I won't lie. There's been uh, places or workplaces where I've felt you know, invisible, I've felt excluded, and um, there's other places where I have thrived and I have shined. And I think what I've learned in that journey is uh, being authentic is is actually a value that you know um, can never be underestimated, and particularly now if we're talking about inclusion and we're talking about diversity, I think it's important to recognize that each of our lived experiences, you know, whatever you bring, your background and all, is really important to the workplace because it actually adds to um, you know the cognitive diversity, uh, different perspectives, and you know the the danger of having a a single narrative or viewpoint without the opportunity to sort of like uh, think about what other people bring um, means that you won't have a perspective that's shaped by other opinions and views. And we live in a, I suppose, a time where we're also different, we're also diverse, and our backgrounds are, di are diverse. So I think being able to be yourself is really um, quite important. And I think that for you, if you're entering into the workplace, that's one thing that I would encourage you to just always remember to be authentic and to also uh, thrive and push for an environment where you can bring your whole self and you don't have to hide aspects of yourself because we bring who we are into a workplace. We don't hide away some of those things. Yeah, okay. So when I first joined, the, I joined the mining industry in 1990 um, and I was in industrial relations. And what I had come out of, out of context, I'd come out of um, a rural upbringing, but then a private girls' school, boarding school, all girls, and then co-ed at St George's. Uh, and I really, um, while I had always identified as feminist from a really early age, it had never really, there's nothing that really ever sort of stood out and said that there was a problem at that point. And then I joined the mining industry and again, no problem, except that what I found myself was in industrial relations, I was the first, I didn't realise I was the first woman to work in industrial relations in the Pilbara, um, which in those days was a bit different even to what it is now. Um, it was, and so I, and the moment when I realised that I had, um, that I was a bit unique was because I was a woman in that environment and the power of it really shocked me because one day, I was in a we'd had a negotiation where there's com you know I was on the company side so I had company and then you had 36 union officials around the uh, and we were negotiating and it was pretty hard negotiating and everything afterwards I had a lot of interest and one particular union official hard nosed you know what ones you used to see on the news back in the day came up to me and said oh would well, you mind how long are you here would you mind coming over to my house because I'd like you to meet my daughter right um, my I want my daughter to go to uni and I want her to be someone just like you, right? And so that's when I realised that just by being in the room I was making a difference, yeah? And I've never forgotten that. Those are all some all wonderful anecdotes. So when you're thinking about joining an organisation, how can you tell if 
they'll be welcoming and if they'll embrace you and diversity. I guess you never really know. So you you got to take the time at interviews, um, you know, to find that out. So when you go for interviews, you're you're not there to be just interviewers interviewing the company that you'd be working for. Um, so I encourage all of us you know, going for job interviews to actually take the time to ask them the questions to make sure that besides you being a good cultural fit for them, they are a good cultural fit for you. Um, and that would be, you know, that would be that go a long way in, in finding out whether um, they'll be welcoming or not, right? So, but you never really know until you get into your own team. I, I, we spoke about this, I guess, I, I know. Um, sometimes going to work and having everyone just say hello in, or good morning in the morning, you know, it makes a big difference to going to a workplace where everyone just heads down, um, you know, uh, hardworking and great, you know. But those little small interactions uh, make a big difference. But like, um, yeah, you never really know. So take the time when you're joining a company to do a bit of research and make sure you ask questions and that you are comfortable joining a company that you'll be working for. I think oftentimes diversity and inclusion are words that are used interchangeably and we tend to think that they mean the same thing. And so if we think about it, diversity is about difference. So I think diversity is easy to see within an organization. So whether they've got material that you can look at, it's quite easy to see if a company is diverse because it's really about you know how many women or how many men, all of that stuff. And those statistics are quite, some in, in, in most organizations, um, would have that kind of you know um, sort of diversity. It's visible. You can see it. The inclusion bit is a bit. Of, it's 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 very difficult to see because inclusion is about culture and it's about also what you will bring to that organization. And I think it's important to recognize that when you're thinking of a uh, an opportunity to join an organization, there often tends to be this uh, you know mindset where we expect the organization to be a cultural fit or to be inclusive but we have a responsibility to also bring inclusion into the organizations that we are because it's a personal responsibility. So it's also about how willing are you to create inclusive environments? You know, what have you been exposed to? So I think um, diversity is probably easier to uh, identify, but I you know, make it a point to ask uh, at interviews, uh, what is your, what, what, what is the, um, what is important to you? Um, and how do you measure inclusion? Like, what's the culture here? You know, how many people uh, do you have? So for me in particular, I will ask if there's uh, networks, if there are groups, and I'll also ask if they celebrate particular days, different days, because that gives me an indication of just how inclusive, uh, you know, an organization is. So I like like to see the visibility as well as um, feeling like I, I, I'm a fit. And so I think it might be difficult at an interview to get the inclusion, inclusive bit and that inclusion bit right. But certainly from a diversity perspective, I think that's actually easier to measure and, and to see. But I think it's also important for you to think about what are you going to bring uh, in terms of creating that inclusive environment. It's not for that organization or somebody to have that responsibility. I think each of us have to think about what am I going to bring um, to create that environment. I, I love that bit about what you what you bring. I think that I think everything that's been said is true. I'm, I sat on executive teams for 10 years and I can tell you one of the things I would look at is who's sitting on that team um, because you'll see and actually because look at what the lived experience of the organisation is because they will have everyone will have gloss, glossy brochures and programs and statistics 
Um, and I have been part of the teams that are on communications and I can communicate statistics in any which way and make them look really good on a website, but it's a lived, getting to the lived experience. Um, and sometimes, uh, you know, the reality is, is in an interview, if you come out hard and go, what's your diversity and inclusion? You know, if there are questions like that, you'd have to kind of read the room as to whether that was going to go well for you. But asking about things that actually lead to that, like, you know, respect, you know, so how is, how is respect? What, what are defining values in this organisation? Looking at their values, so how are they lived? Give me an example of how you see that lived in this organisation, because they're things that they've already put out for you to ask about, and you'll get a sense about whether there's a translation between what they say and what they do. I was just going to say for myself, I really must be frank, I didn't actually check whether there was any diversity inclusion in the organisations when I joined. The first company I worked for was in Kalgoorlie. I took it because I thought as an engineer the best thing for a female, in particular myself, was to get some practical experience. When I, when I joined Alcoa, I joined because I wanted to be closer to home, but work in mining. And when I joined Rio Tinto nearly nine years ago, it was like, I think I want a more strategy role. I think I like to now be a bit more of a lady and have a job in the city. But so I didn't really check any of those, but I guess I joined large companies that are quite progressive and have always had those. But I guess if I had to do it today, I would do what you guys, I would, I would check some of the things on the internet and size the room at the interview. Um, you know, are they progressive, for example, things like, you know, there was a lot of gender talk a few years ago, but now it's very much more about inclusivity of L the LGBTI community. So are those, and I think that's how I would measure a company, whether it's progressive. But I think the other thing for me is I've also taken a bit of the view that I didn't have a full awareness of this. I probably a quite a driven person who goes, that's what I want and that's what I'm going to do. And so the presence of the room you mentioned is probably how I've also then embraced a diversity inclusion. So, I mean, I didn't actually know a person like myself nearly 20 years ago when I joined mining. I didn't, you know, I didn't actually realize I was a diversity type uh, image. And now there's lots more. So I think for me, it's once you get in what, uh, what you create as well and the power of what you can do and your role modeling is also is what how I've actually pushed the diversity and inclusion. So that's actually a really good segue to our next question, Shalini. When, when you join an organization, how can you be true to yourself and how does that play out and, and what does that look like and what can you do? I guess I'm true to myself because I think I've thought some of the values that are really important to me. Um, it's something I had an idea early on, so I've stuck to those things. So I sort of my test sometimes is are they in line with my personal values? And if they are not, then maybe understanding why and seeing where the company is. Yeah, so in a new, when I've joined new company, uh, new groups and things, yes, I've ch checked that. And really tried to meet as many people as possible because understanding and meeting people gives you a different perspective and then it broadens your horizon. So one of the things early on I did when I moved to IT is I met most people and I just listened, I talked, I spoke to them and then that gave me a perspective of what's important, what I should focus, how I should deal with people. So. Gosh, I think being true to yourself is very, very hard in an organisation. I'm not lying, I don't want to lie to you. I, I, um, and I think that, you know, so I've, I've had over 30 years in the workforce and I'm still grappling with that question and in fact talked about it last week with someone with a piece of work that I'm looking at doing, saying how do I do this and be true to myself. So I think it is something that if you accept that your career you will grapple with this over the entire time, but hopefully you'll have lots and lots more information 
to go on. I, I guess I, I love the idea about understanding your values. So I, I'm a big believer in understanding is having a think about what you value. Um, when you join an organisation, there will be a lot of narratives or what I call scripts or narratives that already exist in the organisation, what they consider to be true or false about how things operate in this industry. One of the things that you bring, I mean, the, the generation before me, I think, is the smartest generation I have seen yet. And I'm very excited about you being in the workforce because you are asking questions. Ask questions. Don't accept the narratives that are out there. And then assess those against your values and what can you bring? What can you actually bring to that? Because I think you guys bring a lot. I think I agree completely. You know, you, you, uh, it's going to be hard staying true to yourself 100% of the time, all the time, because nothing's ever just black or white, or you know, there's always some grey. But asking questions is a great way of doing that, without without sounding too, you know, uh, too far-fetched. But sometimes you you got to pick your battles a little bit. There's um, there's things that you can do that you're completely comfortable with, and there are things that you know you can't do, and those are the battles that you want to pick, and those where you go. Yeah, I don't think I'm too happy with it, but I don't mind it. Yeah, yeah. you, you might try to put your position on it. You might want to change it, but you may not be able to do that 100% of the time. But you know that's, that's your, your no-goes, and those are the ones that you want to put your foot down and pick your battles that way. Uh, and it sometimes actually make more, more of an impact as well. If you are actually picking your battles every single time, people tend to shut you down because they go, oh, yeah, DJ's going to say something about something because he doesn't agree with this thing but when I when I pick my battles and I go I don't agree with this and this is A, B, C, D, E because okay right so he, he really don't agree with this can we can we work around that can we have a middle ground and, and make it work together so I think it's it's there's no true way of doing it but you know what we've been talking about being genuine and being authentic uh, if you continue doing that you, you you get a pretty good chance of picking you know doing what you need to do and if you're really not comfortable with doing something and you make them known uh, most companies will actually won't make you do that anyway i i have to be honest i think the being true to yourself if i think about my journey it's it's been hit or miss I mean you know when you join an organization I think the first thing you want to do is you want to impress people so you kind of do what you think will make people around you like you so you do things that you know where you feel that okay I have to sort of like play ball just for people to to be accepting and I think as I have worked in this space, I've now realized a lot of the stuff that I had internalized um, for the for the idea and for uh, for the need to sort of like fit in and uh, and throughout the career I've 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 interacted with different groups of people where I've seen that sometimes it's really hard to be true to yourself in a work environment and an example I'll give is like when me and Rob were working together with the LGBTI working group we had the opportunity uh, last year to go to a few BHP mind sites and do ally training you know and just raise their awareness because their stats had sh um, shown them when they did like a survey within the company in terms of culture that a lot of people felt that they couldn't be themselves in a workplace. I think it was around 80% of staff. So that was an alarming for, for BHP, uh, as progressive as they are. And so we went and we did this training and one guy after we did the training came to us and said thank you because I'm gay and I've never been able to, to come out but I feel like after this training because I've seen like my managers here I feel more comfortable about being myself 
So I think that, you know, th as much as I would love to say that for me it's been being true to myself and coming, I, I recognize that for a few people that self-editing ha has been quite difficult in certain circumstances. But what I have learned in this journey and what I would share with you so that you don't have to go through this process is that a lot of organizations now are very progressive and they recognize that diversity and inclusion makes good business sense and it's actually necessary. So I feel like now that you're entering the workplace, it's such a different time to when some of us entered. You know, you were talking about 20 years ago, there was no one who looked like you. So that representation wasn't there. But with time, there's that representation. So I think you're quite fortunate. And because you're quite fortunate and progressive, it is so important for you to first of all, understand what is your core, what is my personal uh, value, and bring that into the workplace. And then there's some things, you know, like DJ said, it's picking battles. And in cultural intelligence, they call that the flex bit. There's the core bit, which is a non-negotiable, this is who I am, these are my values. The flex bit is, you know what, I can sway uh, with this. It's not a hit or miss. And so I think more organizations are now embracing of that, but it's really important for you to know who you are before you go into a workplace. The last thing you'd want is for a workplace to change you. You should be able to change the workplace in terms of what you bring must actually be accepted and change the, the culture. Thank you, that was a wonderful point you just made. So once you've joined an organization, how, how can you help them? How can you help them change what is your role as a member of that organisation? You know, as DJ said, you can either fight every battle, you can pick your battles, or you can be part of the conversation. What, what have you tried? What works? What have you seen? And particularly for you, Fadzi and Shalini, do you find that you're, you're a bit of a role model now? And, and how does that play out for you? So I was just thinking, um, so in some ways, I think it's okay for us to make other people comfortable as well if you feel you're diverse, uh, dif slightly more diverse and inclusive. And I reflect when I went to my first job in Kalgoorlie, I still remember the engineers on Friday wondering what to do with the, a female engineer who looked honestly about 14, I was 21. Because honestly, weeks later, when I went to get a train ticket, they asked me whether I was a child. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Innocently. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, and um, yeah, and I guess I, I said to them, because what their issue was, they always went to the pub on a Friday afternoon, and this was also a skimpy pub. So they were not actually quite sure what to do with a female who obviously has an um, Asian background, Christian background too, and um, so they were probably wondering, is it right to take her? And I just told them, you know, go do what you guys normally do. I'm happy to go with you. And I'm not, you know, I'm, I wasn't sheltered, so I've, not that I haven't seen these things, but so I guess I made them comfortable and said, do what you guys want, I'll join you. And I went with them and I actually didn't drink at that time either. And I think it set the scene to that say, look, so I recognized in that occasion that they were probably uncomfortable. I just said, look, it's fine, just, you know. Um, so I think that's uh, one. And I think the other anecdote I realized is I didn't actually see myself as a role model till about nine years ago when I joined Rio Tinto and I used to present at courses. And the junior engineers would come and talk to me and want to meet me. And that's the first time I really realized that in some ways I was a role model. And then I guess that has grown to mentoring at UWA. I'm a member of Engineers Australia Divisional Committee. So I think it took me a while to see that I was a role model. 
I think for 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 myself, I think one of the things that's important and how you can be yourself is, you know, if I think about the journey I've had, there's certain conversations that happen in the workplace and where when I first came into, you know, a, a work environment, I might have been too scared to speak up or, um, you know, but now I'm, I'm more confident and if I feel that the conversation is derogatory towards people or if there's a lack of understanding, I will. And, it, you know, there was a period in my life where I just didn't want that burden um, because I have been in rooms, I've been in situations, I've been in workplaces where I'm the only person who looks like me. And so I've, I would feel the burden of having to carry a whole race. Like everyone judges a race based on the fact that they've never worked with somebody who looks like you. So it was, it was quite burdensome, I, I'll be honest. As driven as I am and as ambitious as I am, there were times where I felt like I had this responsibility responsibility that was placed on me that I never really asked for. And it was then that I realized how easy it is to default into making myself uncomfortable for the sake of making others comfortable. And so then challenging that and being able to, to share about my own individual experience so people could see me w was quite important. So I think that some of the ways that you can do that in a work environment is actually to share about your lived experience, because um, uh, that brings knowledge. So just be yourself, share about the things that you do, and don't be scared to, to do that. And as far as being a role model, I think people tell me that I am a role model. Um, it's not something that I have uh, a desire to do, but you know, three years ago, I was fortunate enough to get funding from the US Embassy to run a mentoring program for cu culturally and linguistically diverse women. And so I had 15 women um, go through that program, and I think that mentoring program was great for me as well because I was learning a lot. Um, and one of the girls who was uh, a participant of that program is actually speaking at an, on another panel at the moment, Angel. And Angel and um, her husband um, have gone on to be named on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. And another girl was uh, named in the 40 under 40. So when I think about that, I recognize the power of representation. And it's not that I gave them any tips or tools for them to do that. It was already there. I think what I provided was, I provided an opportunity for them to be themselves, but to support them. But it was easier for them because they could see themselves in some of the things that I had done. So I think that, to me, is the beauty of mentoring, is being able to recognize somebody that you know you want to aspire to, to be in the sense of what they're doing. But also, it's a two-way thing, because I learned something from that. So now that I see that, and I recognize that a lot of people don't have that opportunity, I am now more cautious of the role that I can play in terms of representation for others. Okay, uh, just because we're getting close to time now. Yeah, I, ju I just um, wanted to add a little bit to that. The way I see culture in an organization, are, are most people either in or looking for jobs or in organizations at the moment? Yeah. Okay, so the way I see culture in an organization is that you it's made up of everyone, right? It's it's not made up of what the senior executive says or what's on a card or whatever. So what, everything that you do every day contributes to a culture. So if you want a culture of diversity, everything you do every day. So whether you like it or not, you are a role model every single day, and kind of kind of accepting that first, accept that every. And cultures are made of systems, symbols and behaviours. So those things that you do every day really, really matter. So what you 
walk past, um, how you treat other people, um, whether you see something that you don't like, how you treat people from, from all forms of diversity is up to you and it will be a hundred small things every single day that you can do, so. I just want to reinforce that. Um, everyone is a role model. Your scope of influence, as long as you're influencing one person, you are a role model. So, you, you know, don't be afraid to, to express yourself in whatever way that you're most comfortable with. And, and you know, just combining what Fatsi and Shalini were saying before, there's always going to be stereotypes because we're all very visual person. People are going to assume things about you if they don't know you based on what they can see about you. But it's up to you, you know, Shalini goes, oh yeah, let's go do whatever you want. I'll come with you. You change your stereotypes stereotype. It's, it, it, it's not them that can change it. You have to change it for them, right? So there's always going to be stereotypes, but if you don't think that fit your stereotype, change it. You make the conversation. I've got, and I've got an example that is almost like the opposite, but equally valid, you know, equally valid to the Shalini's one, where I joined a company where every quarter I was on an executive team with all guys, and they all went golfing once a quarter, which golf is a fabulous game played by men and women. It's just that I don't play golf, and I find it kind of boring. And we went off, and they were all going off to play golf, and they said, are you coming to play golf? And I went, do you know what? I actually, do you mind if I just sit in the golf? I'm completely fine with you guys playing golf. I'll read a book, and when you come in, we'll have a drink together, right? And then the next day, a couple of guys went up, and they went, we didn't realise we didn't have to play golf. <laughs> right? No one else wanted to play golf. The only person who wanted to play golf was the CEO. And I kind of started a bit of a revolution without realising it. So <laughs> That's wonderful. So what does it look like when people self-sabotage? How can others help? And, you know, a follow-on from that, how can you make sure that you don't fall into the trap of resentment and instead, you know, work to change your workplace or your organisation in a positive way? I think for me, I was going to focus on the question on how do you help. I guess one thing I've, it started with safety in the mindset when I was a superintendent that the standard you walk past is the standard you set. And I guess I've now extended that to people's behaviors and what's acceptable. Also, as I've grown in confidence, I'm more comfortable to go and have a conversation with somebody. So I guess for me, if I saw something in the self-sabotage area, if it is just my, uh, if it's relatively minor, the person's not understanding, I would probably go and speak to that person. If I didn't have that relationship or felt uncomfortable, then I would go to their leaders and um, have a chat to them. So, and I think sometimes we, I think it's also rem uh, important to remember whether they are self-sabotaging intentionally or not knowingly. If they're intentionally self-sabotaging, then that's the most serious thing. If their behavior is is, is they're not uh, understanding that, then they may well just be needing some guidance, you know. And sometimes it is a bit about being frank. I mean, I remember years ago, I, somebody, um, I think, um, so I'm of Sri Lankan heritage. I came here when I was a kid, and um, they said to me, uh, you know, you're Indian or something like that. And I said to them nicely, you know, I'm calling a French person um, German or a German fr person French is calling a Sri Lankan Indian or Indian Sri Lankan. Mm -hmm. And um, I was just being a bit flippant at a meeting, and you know, and but they thought I was serious. So they rang me after this meeting and said, "I'm really sorry. We thought we offended you." And I said, "So I had a conversation." I said, "No, you didn't offend me. I'm just sort of being sharing and broadening your horizons." So yeah. So sometimes it is about being comfortable, just to 
say and have their conversation and it didn't impact the relationship i think it actually enhanced it enhanced the relationship so i, I guess i'm going to touch on that resentment piece you know um you got to catch yourself doing that because we, i think we, all, we we discussed this earlier you know you can't fix and you can't fight every battle but what you can do is be constructive it's probably going to be more detrimental and not you know it's not going to help your course if you become resentful because you, you tend to get a bit more um uh, dramatic, I, I guess, when you're a bit resentful. Um, if you catch yourself doing that, um, it's so a lot of self-awareness is going to be in place for that. Resentment is never going to solve the issue. Um, you know, um, Gandhi said, you know, an, an eye and an point an eye makes the whole world blind, and, and that's true because you can't fight, you know, um, ignorance with ignorance. You know, you, you just got to sometimes be the bigger person and, and walk away because I can't fix everything. I can't fight every battle. I, uh, this situation I can't help. I'm going to walk away or um, and come back later, kind of thing. So, so I have a technique which I find really difficult. So I'm just going to pass it on to you guys and hope that you have a lot more luck with it than I do. But I work on the basis that you can't change someone's mind by arguing with them. They'll just entrench it. So what works, although I find hard to do because I get really cross when someone really triggers something in me, is to simply start asking them questions, not leading questions, by the way, but just genuine, curious questions about, tell me about that, where does that come from, why do you believe that? And actually, if you, what I find is if you, from a place of, you know, truthfulness, I guess, are really curious about where someone is coming from, you will find in that conversation a hook or something that you can grab hold of and get them to a point where they may listen, they may be in a position to listen to what you have to say, but they won't do that until they feel understood. Mm. All right, lucky last, speed fire round. What's one piece of advice you would give? I would have to say authenticity is, is really important. So my piece of advice is just to know who you are, to be authentic, because, you know, like DJ said, said earlier, no one else can be you and your lived experiences who you are can do wonders in terms of changing uh, organizational culture and people need that and everyone benefits from you being uh, who you are so so i would just say really be authentically you and unapologetically you i was going to do that too i was going to say you do you but um, but on, on building on on that you got to know who you are. So being who you are is one thing, but who, who, and knowing who you are is a completely different thing. Knowing who you think you are is also a different thing. So sometimes you've got to just sit down and take five and realise what you want and who you are, and that, then you can really build some more value on top of that. I think for myself, I would say, you know, chase the opportunity, take the opportunities if, um, if it's in line with your values and you feel comfortable and seek the opportunities because that's one way of actually knowing who you are and understanding who others are. So don't be, I think, scared or shy to take an opportunity. So I guess when I first had my job in Kalgoorlie, I didn't actually... I had never really been, to, I've been a city person, I was family, and, and I just thought, oh no, it'll be a good opportunity, and I move. So I think don't be scared to take the opportunity because opportunities create opportunities for you to understand yourself and to actually understand others as well. So, And in a world like today where there is increasingly complexity and lots more that understanding others and understanding the whole value chain across in a business is actually a good thing, and that's probably what they're most seeking. So 
Um, okay, uh, so I would say expect an interesting life rather than a smooth life. I would say be curious and ask lots of questions. And I would say build a strong community around you of support. Wonderful. Thank you so much, everyone. So we've got time for a couple of questions. Um, so if you would like to ask a question, make yourself known, introduce yourself, let us know if it's to a particular men member of the panel or to the panel themselves and try to keep them brief in case we have a lot. No taboo questions. For me anyway, you can ask me anything. <laughs> Hi, um, my name is Anu, I'm um, a PhD student here, and I guess my question is probably to Shalini and Fadzi, because, um, so I came here when I was like nine, and what I'm getting at is basically, sometimes I'm really, really scared that my name can stack the odds of employment or something against me, because when I open my mouth, people can tell I speak English perfectly and things like that. But you know, when I was in school, I was one of three Indian kids in the class in, in a year of 250 students. And you know, people still to this day, and people I work with say, oh, they've got a they've got a different sounding name. I mean, why not change it to John Smith? So I guess like my question is just I get maybe unnecessarily, uh, hopefully unnecessarily anxious about the fact that sometimes maybe the odds are stacked against someone that have, that look different or have, have different names. And like, if you give a CV to someone, like, to, uh, is my fear unsubstantiated? Like, how do you guys deal with that? Or if you ever have dealt with it? So I th that's a real issue. And research has shown it's a real issue. And I'll be honest with you, up until I moved to Australia 14 years ago, I had never thought that was a thing until I went for an interview and the CEO said to me, do you have a problem with people taking you seriously because you're black? And I literally was floored. I'd never been asked that in my life. And he basically said, you could have been called Karen Wilson and your experience was great. But then I noticed there was little bits of Africa and then your name is ethnic. And so I just wanted to know. So it turned out that I, he didn't actually want me there for an interview. He wanted to know if I had written the cover letter and the resume was mine. So that was 14 years ago. And it, for, for a couple of years, I was very insecure. And I was trying to think of different variations of Fadzi. Um, and I thought, should I call myself Fa? You know, all of this stuff. And at that time, I was married. And my ex-husband has a very long African name. So you know, the ones that you can't even fill out on an application form, you need a second line. So uh, it, it was something. But I then thought to myself, actually, up until now, it's never stopped me. It's never been an issue. So I'm just going to continue to do it. And the reality is there are people who look like you. Um, Shalini is a great example of getting the things that she wanted with that name. And I think back to myself, and I think, well, Yes, there might have been organizations that didn't employ me because of that, but there's a, a lot of organizations that did with that name. So at least now, I don't think of it, and I don't want you to think of it, because you know there's always going to be situations where um, you, we won't get our way, but that should not stop you, because there are people who will see the value in you. So don't let that be. That is an example also of how sometimes we self-sabotage, where we think, you know what, I'm not 
going to get it. I'm not going to go for it. I would say go for it because um, there's so many people all over the world with ethnic sounding names um, that are doing amazing things. Maybe it's the organisations that are self-sabotaging, or yeah. well, they are. I was just going to say, um, it's a great question. I didn't feel it too much, but I've also probably worked it that it doesn't bother me. So you're probably overthinking it. And uh, if I was to say a few points, so one thing, so I, I had this conversation with somebody else who said, I don't know whether I should buy, put my picture on LinkedIn or something because they're dark-skinned person too. And the conversation then we had was, if the company is not going to be comfortable with you because you are dark-skinned, then is that the company you really want to join? You know, And that's the question earlier about diversity. You know, For me, I've embraced it because I think my family brought up me with, you can do what you want. Uh, I came as a 12 or 13 year old too. And to be honest, my first name is Rosemary. So officially, it's Rosemary Shalini Bernadette um, Saldana. But I prefer to go by Shalini. So I actually intentionally tell people Shalini. Rosemary is only my name in official, my passport, my medical documents. So in, and the world is changing. Like I'm married to an Indian, so Saldania is an Indian surname. It's actually a Portuguese surname by heritage. There's a Saldania Bay, and there's a, and my husband is go on Portuguese. My siblings are married to Caucasian women, and therefore my nieces and nephews are half um, Sri Lankan and half um, Anglo-Saxon Caucasian. So they so they they have my Sri Lanka because my, they're my brothers. They have my my Sri Lankan maiden surname, which is also a Portuguese surname, so Kurei. So when you look at it like that, we are increasingly becoming um, very dif uh, difficult to know. And more than half of our WS population is either born overseas or at least one parent is from overseas. And I guess just to finish, I sometimes go, what's? It's probably a bit of self-consciousness because we see a long Asian surname or an Indian surname, and I know some of them are very long. You know, you as I sometimes tell um, my offices, you know, I'm not a, I uh, I have a Portuguese maiden and married name, unlike the Sri Lankan cricket team, when you you know whose surnames are so long and it's quite comedial, um, trying to see the Caucasian presenters pronounce the surnames, you know. Is that any different to an East European who has a very long surname with a D-Z-I-E-C-K something and no distrib? You know, is there any difference? There isn't, you know. So I think for me, be comfortable, be true to yourself, understand what's important. You know, for me, being of Sri Lanka, I'm not, I'm not fussed about it, you know. And as I've grown, I've got comfortable. And on a joke, my husband will tell me, you know, they don't actually know who you are, whether you're South African, European, South American, or Asian till you open your mouth. So, um, and that's a bit of fun, right? So I, um, and I have those, so I just have banter with people too, you know? You know, and I years ago, remember when Murali Theron, the cricketer, um, and they knew I was Sri Lankan, I tell you, oh, they were like, oh, your, your hand is not twisted. Now I can either take offense to that, or I can go, well, let me tell you about a bit more on Sri Lankan culture, so yeah. So I think to summarize, be confident, mm. investigate genuinely if it is a problem, you know, if you think, yeah, and, um, Probably make it part of yourself because that is part of your heritage. In the end, is important, you know. Your, your, you know. And I, and I jokingly on, I tell people I'm short, petite, Asian, Catholic, engineer. That's very many personas I actually have, and that's what actually makes me. Probably talkative, probably assertive, you know. Those are all things that, in the end, has made. Rosemary Shalini Bernadette's Kurei Ni Saldana, you know? Oh, sorry, Saldana Ni Kurei, so yeah, yeah. I just want to add on to that. Um, you know, we talk about cultural fit for the company, so 
if if they are not going to interview you or hire you, it's, they're not probably be the right fit for you as well. And there's a lot of progressive firms out there today. Uh, my firm, for example, we do blind resumes. So when I hire people, I don't actually see age, gender, name, anything else. I only see experience. It's only until I shortlist my my um, you know people that I want to interview. It, that's when I get the full resume. So there's a lot of progressive firms out there doing what we call, um, you know, getting rid of unconscious bias. Um, so don't don't feel like um, don't feel uncomfortable uncomfortable with that. There's a lot of progressive firms out there. I would like to take this opportunity to thank everyone for taking their time on a Saturday afternoon, and thank you to the panel. I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to each of you answer these questions. Thank you.